So here we go. So it's from John chapter 2, and it's verses 1 to 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were, six, there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some water out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and he did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Thanks, him. Good evening, church. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, good evening. Good to see you all again. So you decided to come back for the sequel, for, for season two, uh, this evening at the uh, wedding of Canaan in Galilee. Well, the context, of course, as you know, is... Oh, do you like the... Uh, you like it matches my, my top. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so I was wearing my purple uh, shirt and someone says it matched the uh, uh, seats this morning, so I thought I would try this one. Um, <clears throat> the uh, wedding at Canaan in Galilee, it was... Uh, I did improve on it. I took her to Spain uh, with a chaperone uh, and I dropped the ring I into uh, some champagne and I made a better proposal there, there and then. But... Um, but as soon as we, as soon as that proposal, I mean, who says yes to that proposal? I mean, she, she either heard God or she's mad, one or the other. And sometimes it's kind of a, a close in between. But, um, but on our wedding day, we got married on the, in Nottingham and we went to a, a a golf course for our reception. We got on a golf buggy and there's Sarah with her big white dress and the golf buggy that I was driving and the, and, and the dress was fl flowing uh, out the back of this golf buggy and we had our, our, our photos taken and then we had our reception and then after, after all the toasting was done and after all the speeches was done and then we had our disco and we had all our friends around and we were dancing at the, at the party and then I said I went out to Saudi and and I spoke to her on Skype and I says uh, in three or four months she was going to come out I said Sarah it's wonderful out here it's fantastic we we're going to be living in a gated community and of course Sarah had this image of a gated community oh wow you know, I said, yeah, there's walls, there's gates, there's, there's security guards with hats on them that say hello to you each morning. Uh, we've, got, we, we've got a nice house. It's going to be wonderful. So when I did meet her, when she arrived at, uh, at King Abdullah's International Airport and uh, she had her whole abaya on and she was dressed in black 
And as we were driving to the compound, it's like driving through Beirut. You know, there's all the rubble, there's desert, there's rubble everywhere, uh, and there's, there's junk cars. And she's looking, going, well, well, where's this gated community? I'm like, and then eventually we got to the compound. And, the, and the, 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 there's, there is a gate uh, with uh, Royal Marines posted outside and a machine gun nest up top uh, and, security, and security cameras. And as you drive in, they check your car underneath to make sure you've got no explosives underneath with the mirror. And Sarah's like, where have you brought me? <laughs> and they start the search. And when they have found a suitable wife, then we have the approach. And that's when the, the father dresses up in a special, uh, a special costume and he makes the approach to the head of the house of the other family and he sits down and they discuss everything. Usually gifts are given and they discuss absolutely everything. Uh, what the personality, what the situation will be, even, even uh, names of children, uh, costs and finance and money. And then the next stage is the betrothal. That's the next stage. It's a kind of engagement. It's like a pre-covenant vow. And this is what would happen is the son would dress in a, uh, in a special costume and with his father they would walk from their house and they will walk and all the rest of the family and the cousins and the nephews will walk behind them and they would walk from their house to the house of the father of the bride. <clears throat> And various songs would be sung along the way and various statements would be made. And when, when they get to the house, they would stand outside the house and they'll say, Peace, shalom to this house. And then the groom will stand in the doorway with his family behind him and, and she will be sitting in front of him in her home with her family around her and he will say, Peace to you. My peace I leave with you. Don't let your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. I'm going to go away to prepare a place for you. That where I am, you will be also. So don't let your heart be troubled. And don't be afraid if I say to you, I'm going away because I'm going to come back for you again. That where I am, you will be also. I'm telling you, there's many places in my father's house. And I'm going to come back for you. And he starts preparing. He starts building a home. He starts preparing a house. He starts preparing a place for his new bride to come and live with him. To move out of one family and to move into the context of another family. To come from under the love banner of her father and to move under the love banner of her new husband. He wants to prepare that time. And as he's preparing their future home, she's preparing herself. And she's preparing to make the move and to make the change and to make the change of context and all that it means to be a wife. 
And then there's this time of what they call the tension. The waiting. The tension. In a Galilean wedding, only the father knew when the time was for the wedding to start. This is cultural. Only the father knew when the wedding was to start. And sometimes the, the son would be ready. He says, the house is ready now, dad. Can, can we go for it? No, no. Wait, son. And there was cultural reasons for this. No, no. Wait, son. And the bride would be ready. Can you imagine getting up every morning and getting your dress on and getting your face made up and getting, getting, your, getting, getting the bridesmaids and they've all got their oil in their lamps and they're all good to go. It's today, it's today. No, it's not today. It's not today. And so they, they, they would collapse into bed that night and then they would do it all over again. Talk about Groundhog, Groundhog Day. All over again the next day. She gets her dress on. She gets her, she gets her, and the bridesmaids are making ready. Are we ready with the oil? Are we ready with the food? That's what it was like at a Galilean wedding. And no one knew. And they're all waiting for the word from the father. Only the father knew. He was the only one who could say, time's now. Do we hear some echoes there? Not even the sun knew the day or the hour. Not only the sun, only the father knows. Not even the sun knows the day of care. She's never not loved and she's never not protected. And this is the echoes that we see from a Galilean wedding through the scriptures. There's never a time when you're not loved. There's never a time when you're not cared for. As we wait for the amazing return of our groom who's going to come and take his bride and he's just waiting for the father to say, go and get her, son. Go and get her. And the vows take place. Consummation then takes place. And then there's three days of partying. Three days of partying. And that's the context that we find ourselves in. We're on the third day of partying, I think, I think my disco lasted about two hours, maybe three. But they went the first day, and then they went the second day, and then when they went the third day, and it usually was completed on the third day. And this is what we find in our context in verse 3. It says, And when they had run out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. They have no wine. It's a strange thing when you've done all the planning and all the preparation that you've ran out of wine. In this culture, this would be a shame. This would be a shame. It would be an embarrassment in this kind of culture. But I think that the writer is saying something profound about choosing this and saying this was the first time that, uh, that Jesus started the beginning of his ministry and it says in Matthew 9 verse 17 neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins if they do the skin will burst the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined no they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved 
And in the context here, Jesus is talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives because wine is symbolic, powerfully, powerful metaphor of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And what we find here is that we have a world that has an outward of peace, that one system, one Old Testament process is coming to an end and another process is starting. We've got the new wine, the new harvest, because the wine isn't just about the symbolic of the Holy Spirit, it's also symbolic of a new harvest. Because when all the grapes come in and they get crushed, what happens? The new wine comes from the new harvest. Amos 9 verse 13 is, is echoing the words of the Old Testament prophet. He says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. And we see this echoed in the New Testament. Paul picks it up. He says, don't be drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I just want to talk very quickly about three things. If we want to see a substantial change in our life from water to wine, in this context, I want to share with you quickly three things. One of them I mentioned very quickly this morning, and that is time. We have this aspect in verse 4 when Jesus said to, to her, he said to her, woman, what does this concern me? Your concern has nothing to do with me. My hour has not yet come. And this is what we see in the context. We see that there is an ending of one thing and a beginning of another. We have the ending of the wedding and someone comments, don't they? Someone says, why are you bringing this new wine out right at the end of the wedding? And yet, right at the end of our text that we read, it says that this is the beginning of the miracles and the beginning of the ministry of Jesus where he showed his glory. There's the beginning of Jesus' ministry and the end of a wedding. In fact, was the man right? Was the man right when he said, why are you bringing this wine out at the end of the wedding? Provoking faith in people. Matthew 7, I was reading it the other day. The, uh, the Syrophysician woman. And this is what it says in Mark 7. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. I mean, she was, she was asking Jesus, can you heal my daughter? It's not right. Take the bread of the children and toss it to the dogs. And this is what she said, Lord. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply and for such faith, go, your daughter has been healed. Because sometimes it's as if, like the, the rich young ruler, go and sell all you have. Go on, sell all you have. 
and he walked away very sad because he had much things. Jesus didn't chase after him, did he? It's like Jesus kind of provoked people to greater levels of faith and to trust him in their life. And I wonder if that's what's going on here because you get his mother's response. And this is what we get in verse 5. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to do, do it. So here you've got Jesus saying, my time's not come. My hour's not come. And, she, and you know, mothers know their sons, don't they? Just mothers know their sons. And, and, and she just looks at him and then turns around and says, whatever he says to do, just do it. And this is what I see, is that there is not just a timing aspect when it comes to the seasons of our life and trusting God in every season of our life, but there's also a talent aspect. And there's two talents here that I discern in this text. This miracle seems to be positioned or predicated on two dimensions. The ability to lead and the ability to serve. Just do it. See, Mary wasn't going to take no for an answer. I don't know about you, but I'm going to keep on knocking. And I'm not going to get into this evening to this whole thing of the providence of God and the sovereignty of God and human free will. But one thing I do notice here is that God was willing to change the schedule here. It's not my, it's not my hour. And then he goes and turns water into wine. And I wonder sometimes if we just give up too easily or we just say, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to put my faith in you and whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. And so there is this leadership aspect where Mary says, I'm not putting up with this. I'm not putting up with a wedding without any wine and the embarrassment that that will cause and she turns around and the servants pick up and say, whatever he says to do, I'm going to do it. I want you to say to you, church, as the pastor, as we move into a new season in this church, you're going to come into a season where if you don't have the talent of obedience, you're going to miss the miracle. If you don't have the talent of obedience, you're going to miss the miracle. If you don't have the tenacity to say, I'm not accepting no, I'm not accepting this mediocrity, I'm not accepting this in my life anymore, I'm going to lay hold of the promise of God and I'm going to stand, even if it doesn't change to start with, I'm going to change and I'm going to say, Lord, I'm going to press on to you. I'm going to press through the crowd to take hold of the hem of his garment and by faith, I'm going to find the power to be healed. This miracle was predicated on that talent of leadership. I'm not going to settle. But it's also predicated on that talent of obedience. But I see something else as well in the text. Not just the timing. Not just the talent of saying, Lord, I'm going to press in and I'm going to be obedient. But also I see some tools. I see a toolbox here. 
day. This was the time of purification. Before they went to the wedding, they would purify themselves. And this was the third day. These, the, these pots weren't needed anymore. In fact, if you go to rabbinical sources, they would say that they were never needed because before you were cleansed, before the wedding, you had to go to the source of the water. You had to go to running water, not water in a pot. So these pots were just hanging around. They were meaningless now. And yet sometimes we miss it, don't we, in the purpose of God. There's things in our very own lives. God's going to use things that are just hanging around to bring about the miracle in your life. Things are going to, God's going to use things that you think are useless now. You think, oh, that doesn't mean anything now. It's, it's Moses. What have you got in your hand? Oh, it's just a staff, Lord. It's going to be that kind of thing. It's going to be the five loaves and the two fishes that God's going to use to bring about the miracle. And one thing I also notice as well is that tools come before the time. The tools come in our life before they are needed in our life. Those pots were just hanging around before the miracle took place. God had prepared the pots in advance. What are tools for our lives? Well, tools could be people. It could be relationships. It could be opportunities. It could be certain uh, openings. It could be connections. These are the tools that God places in our life. And I've noticed something about tools. They're prophetic in our life. Because God brings tools into our life before he does something in our life and through our life. He puts them in our life. It's about the capacity for your future. God brings tools and connections and relationships into your life to speak about your future before it even takes place. But I also want to find, see something else in the text as well about the actual process that they went through. What did Jesus tell them? Jesus says, fill up these 30-gallon pots. Fill them up. Went to the pot. Did the change take place when it was in the pot? Did the change take place when it was pouring out? Did the change take place when it was in the cup? Did the change take place when it was on the lips? I don't know. But somewhere in the process, the change takes place. Somewhere in the process of your life, the change takes place. I want to tell you, church, let's stop avoiding the process of God in our life because it's in the process that the miracle takes place. If we avoid the process, we're going to miss the promise of God for our lives. But I also noticed something else as well. I want you to imagine the servants. Where, I mean, where did, where did they go? They, they didn't have the taps back then. There probably was a cistern or a well that, outside of the building that they went to and they, they drew the water and they poured it into, the, into some kind of container. Then they would walk over to, to, to the 30-gallon to, to the uh, pots and they would... Pour, pour it in and, and then okay 
And then they would go back and they would do it all over again. And they're pouring in. And I just wonder, just think of that now. That's just one pot, 30 gallons, and then they have to start all over again with the second pot. And they're pouring it. I don't know how long did it take, hours? I don't know. And I just wonder if they were looking at this water and they were thinking, this is crazy. I'm not seeing any change in the water. It's just water and I'm pouring it in. And I wonder if I've been in my life and I've been saying, I'm trusting you, Lord, but I'm not seeing any change with my health. I'm trusting you, Lord, but I'm not seeing any change in my marriage. I'm trusting you, Lord, but I'm not seeing any breakthrough here. But God says, keep doing it. Whatever he says, do it. I wonder if there was ever an element of crisis or doubt when they got to the fourth part, and it's been taking hours. We still have to keep walking it out by faith. Six jars. Six huge big purification jars with 30 gallons in. Six times 30. 180. 180 degrees substantial change in our lives. And when we look at that fundamental change, we start saying, can, can, Lord, can I trust you through the process to turn my water into wine, to turn my blindness into sight, to change a sinner into a saint, to change misery into joy, to change sickness into health, to change poverty into wealth, to change brokenness into wholeness, to change illiteracy into intelligence? I can, Lord. I can trust you because I know when I'm empty, you'll fill me by your new wine. And I can trust your goodness in my life. I want the worship team to come up, please. Because maybe... You've been in a place, and maybe you are right now, where there's just a tiredness of pressing in and trusting God. I've tried it, Ian. And I want to say to you, it's in that process of just pouring yourself out, just walking it through, just trusting God, that the Lord brings the change from water to wine. And we're going to ask the Spirit of God to come and pour out his new wine of his Holy Spirit to strengthen you and to refresh you, refresh you and to strengthen you in whatever season of your life right now. Whatever the challenges of your life are right now, that we'll say, Lord, this evening um, so we're going to use this area of the church this evening there's nothing special about that bit of carpet or, or those seats there but sometimes there can be something really special about responding in obedience to what God is asking you to do
something really special about putting a marker down and saying, tonight, I am asking God to fill me with his spirit for the tasks and the things that he has for me to do. So as we listen to some music, we're just going to be in the quiet. The band are going to play. Some of those things that Ian has said this evening might have really resonated with your heart and you think, I know that I need someone to pray with me. Or I know that actually I just need to stand to my feet and I need to come to the front and I need to commit myself to God. So we're going to give you the opportunity to do that tonight. We often say, don't miss the moment. And these moments that God gives us to respond to him are precious. So if you'd like to come and you'd like to be prayed with, we have a fabulous prayer team and they love to pray with you. They'd love to encourage you. Then maybe you'd like to come and sit on this gray, these gray chairs over here on this front row and somebody will come and they will sit with you and they will pray with you. Or maybe tonight you know that it's just something that you need to do. And you might want to come and kneel at the front or just stand here and say, here I am, Lord. Fill me, use me. I've got some little pictures here. They're just pictures of a harvest field. They're very small so that you can put them in your pocket or in your wallet or on your fridge. And when you see them, you're reminded that this day was a day when you asked God to come and to fill you and to touch you and to change you. And God will do those things. If we ask him, he will come. So don't be nervous, don't be afraid, because tonight God is saying, come to me, ask me.